What is happening, everybody? This is Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo, and this is a new episode of Crossed Up, and it is our 2021 Philadelphia Phillies season preview podcast. Baseball is finally back. Fans will be in attendance at Citizens Bank Park on Thursday afternoon to watch the Phillies open up the season against the Atlanta Braves if the weather cooperates. As we are recording this on Tuesday night, that weather forecast, Anthony's looking a little bit dicey, but we've waited long enough. Just let the guys play. Let them get there. Let them get out on the field. And let's get going. What's up, man? Good to talk to you. How are we feeling tonight? Yeah, good to t- Good to talk to you, too, Bob. I believe this is our fourth opening day together on this podcast, which is blows me away, really, when you think about it. Like, I, it doesn't feel like we've been at it that long, but we have been at it that long. So this is our fourth opening day together. And I, I'm going to say on Thursday, you'll be in that press box where they're going to have the windows closed. <laughs> um, it, for nothing else, I think it's just going to be really chilly. Yeah. Um, the rain might not be bad enough to postpone the game, but it's going to be they're saying in the 40s uh, for a high on Thursday. So that kind of it's kind of a shame for opening day. Uh, but at least you'll have good weather for the weekend if you go, decide to go down there on Saturday or Sunday. So Yeah, I think it's going to feel a lot like the uh, daytime equivalent to the first half of Game 5 of the 2008 World Series. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to have that type of vibe to it. We're like, good. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, Friday doesn't look a whole lot better. Obviously, you get the sun back on Friday, but we're talking about a high of 43, I think, right now. So it's not like if you hold off one day that you're going to get this beautiful 70-degree weather. So let's just lace them yeah. up and go play, right? So exactly. listen, I mean, you just said it. This is the fourth year that we've been doing this. In some ways, it feels like the, the second show we've done, and in some ways, it feels like the the hundredth thousandth hundred thousand show that we've done uh the way that this this team has played the last few years and some of the head scratching moments and and all of that but you know i think that there's a a good deal of optimism heading into this season i think there's a lot of reasons to like the phillies this year um that being said you know we've always been known uh as realists uh you know we've always been known as sometimes uh, the guys that seem to kind of you know, dampen the enthusiasm a little bit, but I do feel good about what this Phillies team's done uh, over the last few months, especially the way that the offseason started. And I think that they've at least given themselves a chance to be competitive in an extremely tough division. You know, I guess my my thing is, is it enough? Is it enough with the Braves? Is it enough with the Mets? And that's one thing that we're definitely going to get into as this show unfolds. But just before we kind of get into it, like, what's your overall your your overall vibe going into this year? Like, do you have like one or two words that you would use to describe where you're at with this team as we get set to go here? I'm I'm like you. I'm excited for this team, and I think when we give our predictions um, later in the in the show, uh, I'm going to make a prediction that will have the highest win total that I've predicted in the four years that we've done this. Um, so I, I, I'm pretty confident in what they've done, I, I still will sit here and say it might not be enough because of just how good or top heavy really the national league is. And that's part of the problem because you're going to, you're going to have to be one of the five best teams in the national league. Um, and when the league has the disparity that it has and you're the Phillies and you probably sit in that five, six, seven range, it's going to be really hard to get enough wins to make the playoffs. Can they do it? Sure. 
but they're going to need some things to break their way. They're going to need some, some good luck on their side as well. Um, and, and so I remain a realist, but at the same time, I am optimistic. Um, so realistic and optimistic. If you're looking for two words for the Phillies, I think that that's it. And I, and I think it's fair to, to say that um, because, you know, I, I was, I'm, I'm a big fan of Dombrowski coming in. I really am. Uh, that, that's not saying that I think he comes in here and turns them into a World Series team this year. But I think that he definitely has the right approach to putting a team together. He made some difficult decisions that this franchise was afraid to make in the past couple of years, you know, sending Scott Kingery down uh, is that kind of decision. And, and he was going to bring, if, if Odubel Herrera had earned the job, he was going to bring him North when Herrera was considered a pariah uh, by the, by the previous general manager. So like, there are things that about Dombrowski where it's like, look, man, I'm just trying to win. So I I'm optimistic about him as general manager and think that he knows how to get a team to where it needs to get to. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. And listen, if you are new to the show, you haven't really been listening all that long, just a, a couple things here. I mean, with me, I do cover the team. Uh, I am down at the stadium, uh, and that's all fine and well. But I, I don't pretend to be that that stoic, you know, traditional classic beat reporter that, you know, I don't care who wins. Listen, I grew up as a, a Phillies fan, and, and when I was eight years old, the, the 93 Phillies, you know, made that run out of nowhere. And, and you listen to our, our intro music. You know, that's the, that's the old PHL 17 intro music when those teams were, you know, or that team, I should say. It wasn't a prolonged period of success, but, you know, that was when that team was, was on top. And I, I love the Phillies. You know, you look around my basement, I just built a sports bar, and I have all this memorabilia from when I was a kid, and a lot of it's Philly stuff, you know, and, and we're looking, you're looking at me on Zoom right now, and you can see it over my shoulder. Yeah. You know, and I love this team growing up and I, I try to be professional about it and I try to be fair, but I've also been extraordinarily critical. So if you're looking for like the rah-rah pom-poms and, you know, all the reasons the Phillies are going to win 120 games this year, I'm not your guy. But I, I am coming into this thing with a little bit of a renewed optimism. And you go back to where this team was when it crashed and burned again at the end of last season. And you just got this feeling like, oh, my God, they just took this big swing and they missed in 2019 and they missed in 2020 with the expanded playoffs. And now what? You know, this team wasn't good enough and now they're going to take steps backward. So for them to go out and get the deal done with JT Real Muto, with, for them to go out and get the, job, uh, the, get the deal done with Didi Gregorius, to go out and find some valuable bullpen pieces that at least have some, some upside to give yourself a chance to be in the conversation where we can do this show tonight and say, Hey, listen, it doesn't take, it won't take a miracle. They're not a long shot. They're in the mix. They're in the conversation. And so mm -hmm. when I look at this team and where it's at, I think there are holes. I think that there are potential issues that some of us aren't even really focused on because we spent the last month talking about Odubel Herrera and Adam Hazley. There's other issues that could come up here. But I do think that they are a contender at the very least. I think that they are a contender. And so let's just kind of jump into this thing and, and talk about what has led up uh, to this point. I felt like in some ways spring training was uh, five months long this year. You know, it just felt to me, and I know we talked about this last episode, it just felt to me like the longest spring training ever. And I think that's in part because there were so few storylines you know, was, will JT Real Muto get back in time? He did. It was pretty obvious all along that he would. Would they stay relatively healthy? Yes. But all eyes for the last five weeks or so were out in center field. 
in a competition or on a competition that frankly wasn't all that good. You know, I mean, you had Roman Quinn, you had Scott Kingery, you had Odubel Herrera, and you had Adam Hazley. And at the end of the day, the numbers are okay from Quinn and Hazley. Herrera faded. Was not, to me, a situation where all contenders, uh, you know, rose to the challenge. Yeah, and I'll say this about Herrera. I, I felt like I, I still watching those games and looking at and looking at the numbers. I know Paisley hit better um, in a smaller smaller amount of at bats, but the thing with Odubel, I think that lost him the job was he got too worried about impressing at the plate that he didn't take enough pitches. You know, you only have one walk in fifty three at bats. I think that's what killed him. In all honesty, if he was a little bit more patient at the plate, even with a lower batting average, his OPS was decent, right? But his on-base sucked. So if he could have at least added a few walks in there, maybe five or six more walks, he's probably the starting center fielder for this team, or at least platooning with Roman Quinn at this point. But I think the fact that he was not patient and swung at some bad pitches trying to prove that he should be back in the majors – I think is what cost him and allowed Hazley to keep the job at the major league level, at least to start the season. I think that's fair. I mean, you're talking about a guy in 53 plate appearances that had a 245 on base percentage. You know, you talked about the slugging percentage, 481, pretty solid. Adam Hazley obviously had a pretty decent slash line, but he also only had 21 plate appearances. So, you know, right. he, he finishes the, the spring with a multi-hit game and the numbers look really good. He finishes over 300. Had he gone over two or over three though, <laughs> you know, he's hitting 245 right. in the spring. So, you know, I look at this and I, I think it's important to say this. I know we said it about a month ago. I, I have a feeling that we're going to have an influx of new listeners here. I don't want to make this sound like the Odubel Herrera fan club or that there was some great support for Odubel Herrera. Like, you know, we had the morality conversation about a month ago. Does he deserve a second chance? And, you know, we talked about it. And I think that the, the conclusion there was basically like, hey, listen, wherever you're at on Odubel Herrera is entirely fair. You don't think a guy deserves a second chance. I get it. You think he does. I get it, right? And so it's not really my place to tell you Phillies fans how to feel about Odubel Herrera at this point. But I will say, I do believe just from a purely baseball standpoint, and listen, I was listening to a local talk radio host today um, say that, you know, Adam Hazley has more upside as a player than Odubel Herrera. And it's not a, a hard case to make. I mean, Adam Hazley's younger. Uh, he is a first round pick. So the pedigree is there. But, you know, I look at this and to be perfectly honest with you, I just I don't see what other people see that are really excited about Adam Hazley. And, you know, I know I've talked about that and I don't want to belabor the point. But in short, I, I see a guy who has very limited power. He has decent bat to ball skills. Uh, he's got very OK on base skills. He's an OK defender. And that might be better than Odubel Herrera. Like maybe his stability and just being a solid player is, is what this team needs. Because if one through seven takes care of business and you get Adam Hazley and he's productive against righties, th that's fine. And like that can be enough. And I'm not saying that Adam Hazley can't be a good player or a good piece on a decent team. But I just don't see what everyone else sees. And when I look at Odubel Herrera, I do see some upside. And, and I know it's been a while, but the city just went through this with Carson Wentz. And, and you're a Carson Wentz guy. We've had this conversation 2017, 2017. Well, do me a favor. Go back and look at Odubel Herrera's 2017 and tell me what that looked like. You're going to mm -hmm. see a guy 
who flirted with 60 extra base hits. He was a doubles machine. He was the OPS was up. He was a really productive player at that point for the Phillies. And that carried into the start of 2018 before it all sort of fell apart in the second half. So when I look at Odubel Herrera, like I've seen proven upside. I haven't seen that yet with Adam Hazley. Maybe we will, but I just don't, I don't think it was some slam dunk that, that Adam Hazley is the superior player. And I just, I still wouldn't be surprised at some point if we see Odubel Herrera. Well, here's what, here's what I will say. When I see Adam Hazley, you know who I think of? David DeLucci. And that's fine. That's good. Right? I like I David DeLucci. He's, he's decent player. Fourth outfielder, right? Doesn't hit lefties well, but really had, had a couple of really good seasons. One, one of those good seasons was here with the Phillies. Um, you know, nice player. Bounced around Major League Baseball, but, you know, certainly made a career, uh, you know, uh, playing the outfield. A multi-position player. The question is then becomes knowing what Odubel Herrera is, and we know what Odubel Herrera is, would you rather have Odubel Herrera or David DeLucci as your more regular player? And if you're doing that comparison, I'll take Odubel Herrera. Yeah, it's, Not, it's... No knock against David DeLucci. I'll take Odubel Herrera. I think there's more to his game than there is to a DeLucci-type player, which, I, which is where I compare Hazley. Here's where I will go the other way, though. I mean, and you've heard me say that I, I thought Odubel Herrera was going to make the team. I really did. You know, I projected a roster. I felt that he was going to make it. I think that it was – and I don't want to speak out of turn here, so if I'm wrong, you know, I'm wrong. Um, I believe Jim Salisbury recently projected a roster, had Odubel Herrera on it. I know Todd Zalecki uh, projected a roster and had Odubel Herrera on it. And I think that the sense was that, yeah, hey, listen, they're giving this guy 40, 50 plate appearances. I think they really – not that they wanted him to make the team, but they gave him every opportunity to make the team. And, and frankly, you know, I'll say this for Adam Hazley, you know, he came back off an injury and did a really nice job over that last week. And I think that the Phillies felt a lot more comfortable with where he was at at that point, the way that he played over the last seven, eight days to close out spring training. And the other component of this is that, that Odubel Herrera is not going to be here for the long term. So even if he does give you that higher upside that I just alluded to, I think the Phillies need to find decent younger talent and you know if, if Adam Hazley pans out or if Roman Quinn for that matter pans out over the next three four years that's great you're getting a younger player that has a little bit more sustainability with this organization as opposed to a guy like Odubel Herrera who frankly is he's not going to sign another contract here even if he has a nice season I don't foresee that so right you know, and, and I think that maybe that becomes a consideration. Forget the 40-man stuff. You know, I think that, that we, we get a little bit wacky about the 40-man. Like, it matters. The Phillies have some nice pieces on that 40-man. You don't want to just burn through five or six spots if you don't have to. But if Odubel Herrera really went out and grabbed that job by the balls, he, he would have he been on this team. Yeah. And it's fair to say, you know, we're sitting here debating Herrera versus Hazley, but – opening day you're probably going to have Roman Quinn in center field because they're facing a lefty and Quinn's you know Quinn hits lefties really well Hazley doesn't necessarily hit lefties really well so I I think you're going to see Quinn start center field I want to ask you about that it's interesting so we make a big deal out of you know who's in center field on opening day and Roman Quinn does have a a 770 OPS against right uh, left-handed pitchers uh in his career and so, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's based on it's certainly based on how Joe Girardi utilized Adam Hazley last year. I think he was extremely reluctant to, to let him go against lefties. You know, at some point, though, don't you just kind of have to let Adam Hazley 
hit against lefties to see if he can do it. It's one thing I see fans complain about on Twitter constantly. They'll tweet at me and be like, ask Joe why he won't let Adam Hazley take swings against lefties. And, you know, I, I get it because you want to you want to build the optimum lineup. You want to give yourself the best chance to win in that moment. And, you know, if you think your other guy is going to give you that chance, you go to him. So the answer is easy. But if Adam Hazley does have this, this ceiling and, and they think he can be an everyday type player, at what point do you take the training wheels off and say, yeah, go ahead. Let's see what you have. Um, it's a fair question, but when you're playing the, the Braves and Mets to start the season and every one of those games is going to matter and, you know, you don't really think about it. So, oh, it's only April. Guess what? Yeah. You get behind those two teams in April. It was you know, way behind. You're probably not catching them. Yeah, you know, any opportunities. It, it's it's kind of fun to, to like now say, hey, the regular season's here. You can start looking at that schedule and you see the first 13 games are against the Braves and the Mets, which is absolutely insane. And, you know, we can get to this later on. Like, hey, those first 13 games are huge. What do the Phillies have to do in those first 13 games to like stay afloat or make you feel all right about it? Their overall direction, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, because you, you can't go four and nine in those 13 yeah, games no, certainly and, think, and think you're going to make up the, make up the ground. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I think you have to approach these 13 games kind of uniquely, especially when it comes to pitching, because obviously your pitchers are not stretched out enough to, to throw a lot of, you know, longer innings, uh, the starters at least. Um, so th- it really makes it a matchup game as far as pitching. But if you're putting a lineup together, I think in these 13 games, you have to try and put, the best possible lineup out there. And if you don't think Adam Hazley's ready to hit lefties, you don't give him the, you don't sit there and try and force it in those games. Wait till you play a weaker team later in the month and say, yeah, let's give it a shot here. A couple of games, see how he does. But I don't think you do it against those teams because every one of the games against Atlanta and New York are going to matter if you want to make the playoffs this year. Yeah. And what I really would like to see from Adam Hazley, I like from outfielders. I like pop. I like some special attribute for my outfielders, whether it's a corner guy or a center fielder, like there has to be some plus attribute to a player. And that's my one critique of Adam Hazley. Like he's not a guy that that'll kill you, but he's a guy that when I look at every, every component of his game, I go, he's solid. He's okay there. You know, that's decent there. But like, you go back and look at that, that slash line from last year, you go back and look at the stats from last year. And, and I'm sorry, like I, I don't, need him to, to hit you know over 162 games 30 home runs I don't even need him to hit 20 home runs but like the guy didn't hit the ball over the fence once last year like that's that's preposterous yeah. you know and I know that he rededicated himself this offseason the weight room narrative that whole deal we'll see you know he showed some pop this spring he seemed to drive the ball a little bit at times you know so hopefully that that's something as a 24 year old now yeah. and and having some professional Failure. I'll use the word failure, or at least disappointing results to some extent. I believe as a career seven twelve OPS. You know that's that's not what he wants. It's not what anybody wants. So we'll see what he does with this opportunity. And you know the Phillies will certainly be far better off as a team and as an organization overall if Adam Hazley can step in and give him the productivity that that a lot of fans I think are hoping for and some fans seem to be expecting. So we'll see. Now, this conversation kind of gives us a natural segue. We talk about the 13 games here to start the season and the urgency that the Phillies have to kind of come with. And I started saying about two weeks ago, I was on uh, 97.3 with Mike Gill, and I was doing his show, and I kind of just floated this idea out there. And I am not the most plugged-in beat reporter. If you're looking for that, like, front office inside info or the, the deep connections throughout the organization, I'm not that guy. I've 
more of just an observer and, and follow the team and, you know, talk to people and just kind of put things together here and there. And, and one of the ideas I floated about two weeks ago was that, hey, Scott Kingery is not a lock to make this team. And, you know, that was sort of met with a really, you know, because you look at what they've invested financially in Scott Kingery. You look at the fact that the bench was kind of thin. You look at the defensive versatility and you thought, hey, I know he's struggling down there, but at the same time, the, they, they got to get him on the field. The Phillies, I think, did a, a very smart thing for both the, the health of the team and the health of the overall player. And, and we talked about this briefly last week. I don't think it would have been fair to Scott Kingery to say, hey, man, you're going to play once or twice a week. You're going to take down some key at bats late in games because you'll come in probably for, you know, defensive reasons. Uh, You know, if we're playing tight games and we have to make a move, double switch, you could find yourself in games. By the way, as you're totally reworking your swing and your confidence is completely shattered, we're going to ask you to take down these key at bats in really important division games early in the season. Good luck. And I think that Scott Kingery, since he's been up here for one reason or another, whether it be COVID, whether it be the Phillies asking him to redefine himself and, uh, you know, make a new offensive profile for himself, the positions that, you know, bouncing all over the diamond. I just feel like Scott Kingery has been chasing his tail since he's been up here. And I think that this would have been a continuation of it. So to send him down and say, yo man, take a few weeks, maybe a month, maybe two months, we're going to totally break you down and we're going to try to build you back up because this is your only shot. You know, this guy's been around for three years now. And I like Scott Kingery. And I saw what everybody else saw when he was, you know, ripping through the Phillies minor league system. And I saw that spring training back in 2018. But he is not a good major league baseball player right now. And he has not been for the vast majority of his major league career. And if you want to try to salvage this guy before it's too late, this is what you had to do. Yes. Uh, it was the right call to send him down. And, I, you know, big props to the team for making that difficult decision, as I had mentioned earlier. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little worried uh, about Scott Kingery at, at this point ever finding it. Um, and it's a shame because I was one of his, if you go back and listen to our shows four years ago, um, I was one of his, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was one of his, um, big supporters. Like I kind of thought that, you know, th- this was going to be a guy that the Phillies had it right. Um, that, you know, even, even giving him the contract as early as they did before he ever, uh, had one major league at bat that, you know, they were that confident in him, um, that he was going to be the guy. And then he struggled. And I remember us talking about, well, you know, they moved him away from, from second base. He's where he's used to playing, bouncing him around. It's probably not something you want to do with a kid. You're trying to bring him into the major leagues, blah, 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 blah. Okay. That's a pass. Then we had the second season where he had a stretch where he hit really well, hit some home runs. Um, but then he faded badly down the stretch and we sat there and said, well, yeah, yeah, you know, it was all, all because they try to turn him into a home run hitter, you know, with the whole launch angle thing and everything else. Um, but, you know, uh, the, that manager and, and hitting coach are, are gone. Uh, new people are coming in, you know, last year. Um, he'll, he'll figure it out. Then last year happens and he starts the season with COVID. 
And it's like, oh man, you know, now he's behind the eight ball and never gets it back. And, you know, that's the excuse we gave for last year. So he said, okay, come into spring training this year. He'll be fine. He's not. And, you know, you could sit there and say it's one thing after another, after another, he's been unlucky and he has been a little bit unlucky, but at some point, if you're a professional athlete, you find your way through that. You figure it out and you find what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And the fact is, is they gave him as much rope as he needed. And he just, he didn't do anything with it. And so now he's going to spend a month in a, in a training facility where there's no games, right? Cause minor leagues don't start till May. Um, so he's got, to, he's just going to be working on it in, in a batting cage and simulated games in, you know, uh, yeah, Dave scrimmages against their, his other teammates. Dave Dombrowski talked about this today. He spoke with the media on Tuesday morning and he said that the team's, uh, you know, hitting instructor, Jason Ochart is going to, to go to the alternate site. And it's, it's almost going to be like a one-on-one personal, you know, personal training, trying to deconstruct, trying to build back up. And I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see, go ahead, finish your thought. I actually, I have something I, I want to add on to this once you're done. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I basically look at it and say, and say, you know, what, what really can he do at this point, you know, at, at this far along in his, in his journey to get back to what he was doing before. And I look at it and say, and, and you know, far be it from me to sit there, to sit here and agree with a Marcus Hayes column. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it or not, uh, but you know, I, I did. And I, I kind of, can I, 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 I like Marcus Hayes, I, like on a personal I level. do. But yeah. oh, I like yeah. Marcus and I are friends. Yeah, Marcus, good dude. And, but <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I, I I kind of agree with it. Yeah, I kind of agree with his column. Like the Phillies did this to Scott Kingery. Yeah, you know that's not that's not to absolve Kingery. That's not to say oh oh poor poor well, Scotty. You, you just started this whole thing Mr. by Jetpacks. You just started this whole thing by saying that it, you know at some point it's on Scott Kingery. So is it the Phillies? It, that- is, it is at some point. At some point, it is on him. And, and I think that at this point, it, at this point, it is when you get to this point in your career, it has to be on the player. But it doesn't mean that you, you're going to absolve the organization of the blame of letting it get to this point. Sure. You know, I, the one part I disagree with Marcus is, you know, the contract. I thought if they were that confident in him, then you do it. It was a, it was, it would, if he was going to be that player, a six year, $24 million contract, it was going to be peanuts. It was going to be a team friendly contract. Like I didn't have a problem with the contract. Um, So that I disagreed with, with Marcus about, but the rest of it, all the other things that they did, you know, not really developing him properly has led to this point. And Scotty needs to figure it out. He's the only person who can at this point. So it's on him. But boy, did the team really botch this leading up to this point. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, the contract element of it, I think, is sort of irrelevant. I mean, maybe he feels some internal pressure to perform because it was it was a noteworthy contract at the time. It, it was unique. It was something you not you don't really see, you know, or at least at the time you didn't see it all that often. So maybe he had some some internal pressure. And I'll come back to that in a second. But throughout Scott Kingery's struggles, I've never said, like, oh, my God, you know, did you know that in 2018 he made 4.25 million and in 2019 when he was struggling? I can't believe that they gave him 6.25 million dollars and this is what they're getting. I mean, the contract to me is irrelevant. I talked to and and we did not talk about this before the show, but I have um somebody that that 
from my past, who uh, is a major league baseball player who contacted me and we were catching up and uh, he's currently in the league. And he had said, you know, and he's not friends with Scott Kingery and, and doesn't have a close uh, relationship with Scott Kingery or anything like that. But he said, you know, I just give you an alternative perspective. I had written about center field and I, had, I talked a little bit about Scott Kingery in a column last week. And he said, I think the one thing that people are, are failing to, to recognize here is that, yes, is he struggling to hit a 95 mile an hour fastball? Sure he is. But it's something that he's physically been able to do before. It's just be, it's, it's way worse right now. And he says, I, I think that the biggest problem for Scott Kingery is, is confidence and is pressing. And this is something that Joe Girardi has alluded to a few times. My question is, though, in general, and you could relate this to hockey, you could relate this to any sport or any profession, I think. This is one of the rare times where I think you just kind of look at this more as a, not as a professional athlete thing, but as a, a human nature thing. To what extent can you excuse away or write off struggles because you want something so bad or that you feel so much pressure? You know, there are plenty of players that, that want to perform or that feel that their livelihood is at stake every time they come into a spring training game. Careers are at, at stake. Making a 40-man roster is at stake. Making an opening day roster is at stake. Achieving million-dollar, multi-million-dollar bonuses are at stake for a lot of these players. So, like, why, why do we say, well, Scott really, you know, it's mentally taxing him, and that's his biggest problem. Why do we make that excuse for Scott Kingery and, and not everyone? No, that's a, that's a good question, Bob. I mean, uh, I, I guess what happens is, is that we get a little bit caught up with, and it, I think this is this, this way in every sport, we get a little bit caught up in you know, the, the projection of our homegrown prospects. We want, them, we want them all to be superstars, right? Oh, well, we hear about this guy, and now oh, this guy's going to be great. And then, and you know it turns out that they're just okay, or and then you're you're disappointed because they're just okay. The fact is, is they're still a professional at the highest level, you know, uh, in the world, and, and one of the you know 800, 900 best players in the world um, at at this at their position or at their job, um, and yet we still sit there and, and criticize, right? Um, so I think that that I think that that's part of it. I think that that's why guys like Scott Kingery gets a little bit of a pass because for we believed four years ago that he was going to be one of the saviors of this, of this franchise. And so far he hasn't been, but boy, we still cling to that. We still cling to the hope yeah. that that's going to be the case. And I think that that's why he gets a little bit more leeway than, than maybe another player would. Yeah. I think that he represented hope. You know, he, he came up at a time where, where things weren't great. Uh, the Phillies were kind of at, at the time it appeared they were turning a corner. There was a lot of excitement, uh, you know, even going back to 2018 with Gabe Kapler's first year, I know that not everyone loved the manager right away, uh, but there was, you know, some new talent there and it felt like, hey, th this team is, is kind of slowly beginning to arrive. And I think that he represented that arrival and, and like the team falling short of expectations, his own personal career sort of as well. And, you know, going back to my, my player friend, he had said that and I, I said to him, I'm like, well, you know, man, like everyone's got pressure. And he says, my only thing is the thing that pisses me off when I see media guys do this. And he's like, and I'm not saying you do it, but I followed you for a while and I've never said anything. He's like, but you know, you'll tweet out or a writer will tweet out something like here's Scott Kingery, not catching up to a 95 mile an hour fastball again. 
And he's like, to me, it's, it's a lot more complex than that. He's like, cause as a player, I look at that and I go, okay, well that's, that's true. That might be the product, but so much more goes into that. Like, you don't know if the team is telling him like, you've got to work on your pitch recognition. You know, you got to swing at fastballs. You got to swing at fastballs. And if that's, what's being hammered home, maybe he's pulling the trigger late. And maybe it's just a matter of him starting to get more comfortable in pitch recognition where he can gear up and have more confidence when he attacks the fastball. So it's not that he can't catch up to one. It's just that you don't know what's going on in the cage and how he's being instructed and how that might be, you know, uh, impacting the results. And I think that that's a fair point, but at the end of the day, you got to do it, right? I'll make a comparison for you. I'll make a comparison for you, Bob. And it's one we've talked about on this show a few times, Zach Eflin, right? I mean, there's a, there's a guy who was doing things the way the team wanted him to do it. Yeah. And it didn't work. And we would criticize Zach Eflin. You know, he's, he's not, he's not, you know, that good of a pitcher. He's a, no better than a number five. And dude just comes out and says, you know what? I'm going back to what works for me. I'm going to do what works for me. And turned himself into a, the number three pitcher in this rotation. Solidly. Like we didn't even question it this year. We, yeah. we, we just assume Zach Eflin's the three. Okay, great. So, I mean, there's an example to me of an athlete who had some of those behind the scenes issues going on that maybe weren't being reported on. And finally, he just put put his foot down and fixed it. And sometimes maybe that's what a guy like Scott Kingery at this point in his career needs to do and put his foot down and just go back to what worked for him when he was the, the, the big up and coming prospect. Yeah, I, I agree. And listen, again, I'm not supposed to be rooting for anything, but I, you know, I, I want to see the guy be successful. I think he's a nice dude. And, uh, you know, I think he did at some point, you know, there was a reason everyone was excited about it. You go back and, and I was actually doing a story when I did the story on Scott Kingery, I, I went back and I was looking at some old clips and like John Clark was tweeting out Scott Kingery highlights when he was at Lehigh Valley. I'm not positive, but I don't recall John Clark uh, tweeting out videos of, of home runs from minor league players too frequently. Like the yeah. hype was real with Scott Kinger and there was a reason for it. So, all right, let's uh, quickly just talk about the bullpen. I want to kind of get into more of the projection stuff and we don't want the show to run two hours long here. Philly's made some interesting bullpen moves over the last few days. Obviously they decided not to go with Tony Watson uh, on the opening day roster. Uh, he asked for his release and it was granted. So he's not part of the team. We figured that that would pave the way then for Jojo Romero. We talked about our projections about a week ago. We both thought that Jojo Romero would be on the team as a second left-handed relief option. And the Phillies curiously decided to send him down uh, to the alternate site as well, leaving just one lefty in the bullpen. And they've gone with guys like Vince Velasquez and David Hale, who they want because of the multi-innings and the ability to kind of take down multiple innings if needed. And of course, they also went, with Sam Coonrod, who, which uh, was, I believe, Dave Dombrowski's first move uh, once he joined the Phillies. And, and a guy that pitched really well this spring has a, a fastball that sits in the high 90s with some upside. So, uh, you know, hey, you talked about it at the beginning of the show, 13 games to start the season. We're very familiar with the Mets and Braves rosters. You got Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies. You got, uh, I, I don't know, actually, does Albies hit from uh, both sides? I'm He's so a switch, Albies is a switch hitter, yeah. Okay, yeah. So you have him, and then, but then you got Freeman, obviously, with the Braves. And then you go over to the Mets, and, and they have a, a number of very, very good yeah. left-handed hitters. Conforto, McNeil. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I believe Dom Smith, right? Is yeah, he, Dom yeah. Smith. So, yeah. so you have a number of lefties there, and uh, – the Phillies are basically relying on Jose Alvarado, who we can talk about uh, very briefly. And 
the reverse splits of a variety of righties. You know, uh, Archie Bradley and Hector Naris have okay numbers. I believe that uh, Naris is posted like a 705 OPS against lefties in his career. This is off the top of my head. Uh, Bradley, I think, sitting somewhere around 730. So he's not terrible against lefties, but he's not lights out. Brandon Kinsler, believe it or not, actually has uh, better splits against lefties than righties. Uh, and Connor Brogdon, in a small sample at the major league level a year ago, was outstanding against lefties. And if you go all the way back to 2019, uh, across three levels in minor league baseball, was virtually untouchable against lefties. So the Phillies clearly are relying on some reverse splits from righty relievers here. Is this a good strategy, or are they really rolling the dice here? Well, I think they are. I think it's. I think they're rolling the dice a little bit, um, but I think that it's a short-term die roll. Um, and and, and you, I think you your your statistical measurements there are probably why they feel comfortable doing it. Not to say that it's going to translate against the Braves and Mets, but it, it's at least uh, you know a, a good enough argument to do what they're doing. Do you really need two relievers? who can throw, be long men. Usually a bullpen has one. The Phillies have two. I think that the reason that they want two, um, as I kind of alluded to very briefly at the beginning uh, of, the, of the show, is that pitchers aren't quite stretched out to where you would want them to go six, seven innings for these first you know, two, two or three trips through the rotation. And so therefore, even if a guy's giving you a decent start, he may only go four innings. Um, you know, the first week uh, or five innings. And so therefore you might need these, a couple of guys to throw multiple innings before you get to the back end of the bullpen. And so with that said, I think that's why you look at Velazquez and Hale both being in the bullpen to start the year. I don't think that that's something that lasts. I think eventually yeah. one of them is going to go um, maybe both, but I think one of them is going to go. And I think then you'll see Jojo Romero, be the first guy who comes back uh, into the bullpen. And it could be as soon as, you know, two weeks into the season. Um, it's just a matter of getting, getting your starters up to the speed that they need to be up to that. You don't need to rely on two different guys to throw multiple innings. So that's, that's where I think where they're at. And it's a little bit of a gamble because of who the opponents are, but they're going to rely on those reverse splits against the Braves and Mets and hope it doesn't kill them. Yeah. I would imagine it, especially David Hale is the guy that I guess surprises me. I mean, he's a veteran. He's, he's been an okay pitcher for, for a few different, you know, teams uh, you know over a, a decent stretch of time Joe Girardi likes them that's fine I am surprised frankly and and you know they're they're talking about how Spencer Howard will be a, a reliever uh in 2021 this is an organization that uh is very very scared about the jump from 60 games back to 162 and what that could potentially do to uh pitching depth and uh, the potential for injuries to uh, the staff so well, let me ask you a question about that Bob yeah how much do you, of that do you think is Caleb Cotham and, and his m more of a uh, analytical approach to pitching sometimes um, kind of looking at it and, and, and thinking numerically as opposed to physically? I don't know. In terms of how it relates to injuries? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, and I listen, I mean, I think that, that there's some validity to this, this fear, you know, uh, I, I think that that Spencer Howard, though, like, so this is this is how I foresee this. I think by the middle of May or late May, both Spencer Howard and Jojo Romero are, are probably going to be in this bullpen one way or the other. Um, and I think that that gives you a little bit more upside, a little bit more pop out of the bullpen, too. 
but I do think that what you're seeing is like the Phillies not go all in on upside right now and, and kind of hedging a little bit like with, with David Hale, especially um, because listen, and this is remarkable for everything that they've done. And I like a lot of what they did this off season. They go out, they add a number four and a number five starter. And if I told you, Hey, listen, we are one Matt Moore elbow inflammation or we're, we're a Matt Moore elbow inflammation news drop away from Vince Velasquez getting the ball every five days again. I just, there's like, they talk about cats yeah. having nine lives. I think Vince <laughs> Velasquez has 75 lives. I mean, that's where yeah. we're at. You know, here's a prop bet for you. Does Vince Velasquez make a start for the Phillies in the first two months of the season? Yes. Yeah. I'd probably say so. And that's, that's concerning. <laughs> you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about, you know, what can go right for this team and what can go wrong. I think I just tipped my hand a little bit. That would probably be the what can go wrong. So, you know, I, I get what they did. I understand it. I think it's a risk. I think it's a calculated risk and we'll see how it plays out. And I think you'll know very quickly in the first two weeks, whether or not it was a good decision or if it was a bad decision, because like we said, both of these teams, I look at the starting pitching matchups. I believe that the Philly starting rotation can, can hold up with Atlanta's. I'm not saying it's as good as, but I think that they can hold up. I think they can hold up with the Mets. A lot of these games, I think, are going to be decided late. So we'll see how this retold Phillies bullpen holds up here in the early going. Um, now, let me, ask, uh, let me ask you this question about that. And this is just me spitballing. I just, you know, sitting here thinking about, you know, matching up and, maybe because it's the beginning of the season, it really doesn't matter so much because it won't be, you know, for seven innings or so. Um, would you almost have considered knowing what the calendar is and knowing who you're facing of trying to get Nola and Wheeler away from the top of the rotations of Atlanta and, and the Mets to try and get yourself better matchups in hopes of getting, getting better, you know, opportunities to win? Or, or am I overthinking it a little bit? <laughs> you might be, but, you know, it's an interesting thought, and we, we talk about how baseball has become so analytical. But I think that the issue is it's like you are – you'd be going all in to increase your chances of winning certain games by doing that, but then you'd be appreciating your chances of, of winning certain games by doing that. And so, especially this early in the season, I think teams are a little bit more inclined to do that, obviously, as you, as you get down the stretch this early in the season, I almost kind of, I think as like a competitor as, as a, you know, a guy that's like, Hey, let's see what we've got. I, I think it's like, let me put my, my guy against your guy and let's see what's what, you know, I, I think that sends the wrong message to a clubhouse. If you do that, you know, I think that's the type of thing, honestly, that you would complain about if Gabe Kapler tried two or three years ago. I don't, I don't know. Something like that. I, I look at I, to me. That's strategic. That's yeah, playing chess, yeah. right? That's that's a little that's, bit. Of chess. That screams like I'm scared of you. Well, like, it's not that it doesn't see. It doesn't scream I'm scared of you to me at the beginning of a season. I understand. You know, at the end of the year, you have to have that kind of matchup, especially in a playoffs. So you're going to put your best pitcher against their best pitcher. Um, but beginning of the season, like I said, because you know you have an opportunity to chase a, a Degrom after five innings because you know he's just not fully stretched out. Maybe you can get away with starting Zach Eflin against Degrom, and and have you know Nola pitching against um, Joey Lucchese or whoever the hell is going to be the fifth starter for the for the Mets, right? So I mean, it, it, maybe that's a better matchup early. I'm not saying later in the year. I'm just thinking, 
you're trying to maximize wins. Maybe that's the best way to do it. I don't know. It's just you're not getting this theoretical strategy in any other Phillies preview podcast. I'll, I'll tell you that much. All right. So listen, I know that uh, you have some things that you need to take care of. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the clock. Yeah, we're that's good. how we got to this point. That's how we arrived here approaching opening day. So let's talk about where this team sets up. Now I asked you, uh, you know, before the show to think about this, you know, what's something that, that this, this team, we're not, we're not talking about it. We're not looking at it. What's something that, that we're kind of sleeping on that could really go right for this team. And you talked about things breaking, right? What's something that can go right for this team that maybe that isn't on everyone's radar. I, I think that, you know, it's funny. We, we, all we've talked about all through spring training has been, center field battle, starting rotation, bullpen. Like, we really haven't talked about the lineup. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when they, you know, went and got Harper um, and we looked at the lineup that year and we were like, man, this, this lineup could be really good. I mean, it's really deep. It turned out to be okay, but not as good as we thought. Um, last year, we didn't give it enough praise. It was a fantastic lineup last year um, that was kind of lost behind the fact that the bullpen blew every game. Um, it, was a, so, it was a top six lineup and runs scored in OPS. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay. I look at this lineup and sit there and say, man, there is the possibility that this team puts up, you know, 900 runs, you know, this year. And I, I know that seems like a lot, you know, but I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's a, a target that they can reach. Um, and if you do that, if you could put up that kind of number, you, you only need average pitching. Yeah. to be a successful team. Yeah. Um, and I think that the Phillies have the kind of lineup that can do that. And we're not talking, we haven't talked about it, but I look at it and say, if they can stay healthy one through eight in this lineup, plus a couple of decent bats off the bench, this is, this is a, this is a lineup that no opposing pitcher is going to want to face. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I really like uh, the way that, it, and nobody really talked about him all spring, but I really like the way that Andrew McCutcheon looked. Uh, I thought that he looked markedly more healthy uh, this, this spring, um, to me, the bat speed looks like it's where it, it was two years ago before he got hurt. I, I believe that he really, really gives you a, a dynamic at the, the top of the lineup. Uh, uh, and I'm not talking about like 2020 Andrew McCutcheon. I'm talking about a guy like that we saw at the beginning of 2019. I really think that he's back to where he was. I loved what Didi Gregorius brought to this lineup a year ago. I think that there's no reason to, to believe that he can't replicate that, uh, this season, and, and, you know, obviously then you're talking about your real Mutos and Harpers. And I expect a monster season out of Bryce Harper, assuming that the back holds up. I think that we were on our way to one in a condensed season last year. I do believe that the back thing, you know, had a, a more of an impact. And, and we don't want to make excuses when a guy's making $25, $30 million a year. But I do believe that there was a, a noticeable impact there. I look at this lineup and I'm right there with you. I think it's one of the five, six best lineups in baseball. Again, this season, I do think it's capable of scoring somewhere in the, the high eight hundreds uh, in terms of runs scored and they can get Reese Hoskins, the Reese Hoskins that we saw start to emerge uh, during the second half, you know, of that, that sprint of uh, 2020. I think that this is a, a really just a, a, such a mentally taxing lineup for a pitcher to go through uh, a lineup that can grind you to death, you know, just taking pitches, making you work and pouncing on mistakes. I, I think it's a lineup that can be really, really potent. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me is the, is the, what I think is the brightest spot for this team going into the season. It's, it's why I'm kind of bullish on them being a contender. Um, but what about, 
you know, if we take it the opposite way, you know, we, we are known as the pessimistic podcast sometimes. <laughs> we usually record right after a bad loss at one in the morning when we're both grumpy and miserable. Um, but, uh, you know, if there was something that you can look at, Bob, and say, what could go wrong? What could go wrong for this team? As a better, I'm always the guy that's like, well, everyone's saying this. So inevitably, the other thing is going to happen. And one thing that everybody keeps talking about is how Jose Alvarado is just going to be an automatic zero every time he enters the game. You know, just put it up on the board. It's a done deal. And I got to say, I see the stuff and it is impressive. And I know that he has lost weight and that he seems to be in a better place in terms of his preparation and preparedness entering this season but I also watched him be wildly erratic in two of his last three appearances this spring and while I too am high on Jose Alvarado if he's not good this bullpen all of a sudden starts to thin out a little bit because you go hey Archie Bradley who isn't throwing 98 miles an hour is a veteran guy on the back end of it Hector Naris is Hector Naris he can be really good he can kill you three games in a single week jose alvarado is the guy that implodes a couple times here and there well all of a sudden this bullpen is not the force that a lot of people seem to think it is and we'll see bullpens are highly volatile and it may work out certainly they won't be as bad as a year ago but i don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the phillies have this top five bullpen all of a sudden either yeah and i tend to agree with you uh, but at the same time after last season, I can't. I with this bullpen to me is a, an all-star bullpen in comparison. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, we because you know why, Bob? Because I think back to when we did the, this show last year, and we said the bullpen is the thing that scares us. And if you and I, if two guys like you and I who are sitting here watching them on TV, you're down at the games, but I'm I'm watching them on TV, and if you and I can see it, yeah the fact that the Phillies couldn't see it was, was mind numbing to me. And so this time around, I look at it and say, it's not that bad. No, listen, not, I mean, it might not be great, but it's not that bad. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I look at this bullpen. And I like a lot of the pieces. I like the, the veteran mix. I like the upside of some of the younger guys like Connor Brogdon. Like I, I love Connor Brogdon personally. Uh-huh. I, I think that this kid has a chance to be an outstanding late inning reliever. Um, so I'm not telling you that I'm, I'm like concerned, overly concerned about the Phillies bullpen, but there's a path where that, that can kind of unravel pretty quickly. If, if you're sure. talking about what's one thing that could go wrong that we're not really thinking about, well, I, I think that that may be it. Uh, I, got, um, I, I got one more for you, though. Sure. Go ahead. What if Zach Wheeler is not a number two? Yeah, I, I've, I've thought about that. As impressive as he was last year, he was worth every, every penny last year. And you talk about the velocity and where he's at in his career and I, I like Zach Wheeler a lot. Um, seemed to just have a knack for getting double play at the right time a year ago. Yeah. Those things don't always break break right for you. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe he maybe he isn't as good as he was last year. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I didn't th- – I mean, he didn't – I mean, spring – you can't go off of spring training numbers, but I didn't think he looked good at all in the spring. Yeah, I, I really, really, truly – did not put much stock in the results that he got this spring. But yeah, I, mean, I agree with you. You, you can't, you can't do it because, like, I was, it was funny because last week we we were talking about Nola saying, "Boy, he didn't look that great," and then all of a sudden he went out and just blanked the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, showing what he has, right? So, I mean, it, it, it could be that simple for a pitcher to kind of turn it on. Yeah, but I, I've always felt that Wheeler was 
more of a three than a two. Um, and he was a two. He was absolutely a two for the Phillies last year. But I always felt he was more of a three. That's okay. You're going to get the Zach Eflin breakout season, and well, he's going to be the two. <laughs> okay. And I, I predicted my my what my crazy prediction last week was that Eflin ends up as an all star. Right. So, I mean, maybe that works out. Maybe they end up just flipping spots and we have nothing to worry about. But my concern is that the starting pitching isn't as good as it needs to be. And I think that the fact that the Phillies were still kind of kicking tires on guys, um, you know, early in spring training to just kind of see, you know, the Jake Odorizzi kind of guys, you know, just kind of see what's out there. Let you know that they're probably not as sold on their staff either. And so that's to me, if something can go wrong, I think that's where it can go wrong. That's my, I, that's my I, I agree with you. Um, okay. So uh, we got about five minutes or so left in the show yep. here. Let me, let me rattle off some rapid fire questions for you and then we'll make a, you know, preseason or, you know, start of the season prediction and what you foresee. So just real quick, uh, how many all-stars will the Phillies have in 2021? Well, it's, it's kind of tough to get a lot. No, no, no. This is no, rapid no. fire. Damn it. Rapid fire. Two. Who? Uh, Zach Eflin, Bryce Harper. Okay. I, I mean, I, I think Nola can be there as well, but I mean, I, teams don't get more than two. So three is a lot if you have a really good All right, I, I got three. I have Real Muto, Harper, and Aaron Nola. Okay. All right. And, and Zach Eflin can be in the conversation. I just don't think he gets it. All right, here we go. Right to the point, baby. Total wins. The Vegas line, the Vegas line, the line of FanDuel Sportsbook is 81 and a half. You over under that. I take the over, man. Okay. I'm taking the over because I think, okay, if we go back 84, I think it was the pick that we went or 85 was the first, the first year I picked them at 85. Cause we were kind of excited about that, that team that first year. Dude, you are brutal at rapid fire, rapid <laughs> fire. How many wins? How many 88. Wins? All right. Jesus. I feel like I have to explain it though. It's just kind of throw a number out there. You give me this hard stop because you're uh, Mr. Big Time Hockey and you got to go out on national radio and stuff. So I, I got to get through this show. Jesus. All right. Eight, what's your number? I said I said 88. <laughs> I have 87. Okay. Which is such a cop out on our end because we're just yeah. leaving it right in the middle. All right, here we go. Who's winning the NL East? Atlanta. I'm and, I don't th- and I don't think it's close. I think they're the best team by a lot. Who's finishing in second place? That's where the challenge comes in. I'm going to, I'm going to take the Phillies. As am I. But barely. Yes. <laughs> I, I actually, I have like Atlanta at 93. I have the Phillies at like 86 or 87. The Mets a game maybe, two yeah. games behind. Yeah. And I have Washington at like 82, 83. Right. And, right. and then the Marlins, I think, are functional and probably win like 70, 72, 3, yep. something like that. Yeah. So that being said, uh, I feel like we're closing in on something here. The question that I have for you uh, then is, uh, do the Phillies make the postseason for the first time since 2011? They, if they need to finish in second to do it, and I say yes, because right. I, think that, I think that the Central stinks. I think you're going to have only one team out of the Central, probably the Cardinals. Out West, I think it's the Dodgers and the Padres, and then, and then a big gap to, to San Francisco, who's probably the third best team. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the Phillies are in the wild card game with the, with the San Diego Padres. Wow. And it's Harper be... against Machado, you know. Wow. I like that. The, yeah. uh, the sports writers in us uh, love that <laughs> storyline. Um, so that's what I think it's going to be. 
I'm not going to ask you to predict beyond that. I won't have you go. Uh, they're, where they're, is not, they're, they're not going much further than that. They could win that game, but if you win that game, you're probably getting the Dodgers. And I, I don't see the Phillies beating the Dodgers. So, uh, real quick, uh, over under 280 batting average for Alec Boom. Well, that's right about where it's going to be. Uh, I'll go slightly above. I think he's going to be like 283, but, but I mean, that, that's, that's kind of like where he's going to be at. So I'll go Over slightly under above. 23 home runs for Alec Boom. I'll go under. Okay. I don't think he's quite got the power yet, but I think he could be close. I think he's like 18, 19, 20. Sure. Yeah. All right. And uh, who actually last question I'll ask you. I think that you and I both agree that this is a promising team that has a lot of intriguing pieces, but might be a little bit short of uh, the elite level type of squad at this point. Do you think mm, come late June, early July, people start talking about the trade deadline that they trot out somebody from the front office. Dave Dombrowski seems to do a nice job with the media. And yes, Dave, you guys are in contention. Do you think you will make a move at the deadline? How do you think he's going to answer that? And do you think that the Phillies will do something? Uh, well, I don't know how he's going to answer it. I mean, he's probably not going to give you if we do, we do. If we Thank don't, you. we don't. That's not going to happen. Um, but I do think that they will make a move. I think that this is, you know, they've said all along, if they get into contention, then they'll go, they'll be willing to go past that luxury tax. If they're in contention in July and choose to stay below the luxury tax, they're going to get killed in this city. They're yeah, that's why I actually am, am kind of bullish on the Phillies. I think that they'll be in the mix, and I think that this is a an organization that's like enough is enough. We've got to do something, and I think that they're going to make some move in July that's going to push them over the top and perhaps past, I believe, the Nationals and the Mets, not quite to the level of the Braves. So that's where I'm at. And then finally, last question, because I know you have to get out of here before we wrap this thing up. Opening series atlanta braves come sunday how will we be feeling about the phillies around 5 p.m just sunday because you know we're going to probably record middle of the week next week yeah just sunday just one, right. one series at a time yeah um I, I think we'll be okay with it i think i think as long as that they're competitive as long as they're competitive even if they go one and two in the open we'd like to obviously them to go better two and one um but even if it's one and two and you lose a close game or something like that or as long as it wasn't anything that like the bullpen blew it or something, it was just one of those games uh, that you just happen to lose. I, I think that they will be okay with that. So, I, yeah, if they're zero and three, man, it's it's man the, man the lifeboats. <laughs> if it's zero and three, we'll probably actually be recording on Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, I am Bob Wankel uh, for Anthony Sanfilippo. Thank you for listening to Crossed Up. Be sure to subscribe. Leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever the hell you're listening to this show at. Uh, and, and join us all season long. We really think this is going to be a decent team, a very intriguing team, and uh, we'll be here for the ride. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.